Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I'm on a journey to get better in all areas of life, from wellness and mental health to career and relationships and so much more. I know getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when you can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria Menunos. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Better Together. When you know better, you get better. That's our goal here every single day. Get a great show for you today. Very excited. We're going to talk trauma and shame how to heal all of those things with the great Brian Mahan, who has been working with me for the last year since uh, it's been a year. I started really kind of coming apart when I was losing my mom and it has been a year, which is crazy. So uh, we're going to chat with him, but first our quote of the day, shame is ubiquitous in the human experience. It's practically human nature beyond a shadow of a doubt. One thing I know that you and I have in common is shame and we have, and we want to have shame, it's not necessarily always a bad thing. If we didn't have healthy shame, we would all be sociopaths and there would be no rule of law. It's the toxic shame that we can do without. And that is from Brian Mahan, who wrote this book, I Cried All the Way to Happy Hour, Your Roadmap to Profound Healing and Personal Transformation, What to Do When Self-Help or Talk Therapy Haven't Really Helped. Very excited for this uh, episode. We've been waiting to talk with him about boundaries as well, which we'll get into. Um, In the meantime, let's talk coffee. Let's talk coffee. (laughs) I love it. Somehow my delicious beans that I was using, don't remember what they were at this point, got switched out. And I've been allergic to the idea of making coffee in my house. I've been sneaking out and getting coffee wherever I can go, depending on how far, how much time I have. And then I looked in the cabinet and I saw Starbucks dark roast espresso. Oh, nuts. You got screwed. I got screwed. That's why I have not wanted to make coffee at home because it tastes like, tastes like battery acid. You know, Duncan has like this nice, smooth, silky <laughs> consistency. Um, I can't make lattes with that, so I got to like go research their latte yeah, their grinds and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I'm not like a big aficionado. Kevin has really handled our latte machine all this time. But there was an infiltration, friends, and it's not been pretty. Damn. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of fun. I, I like going out and getting coffee. 
it's like a nice little treat, even though, mm-hmm. but then you realize how much it adds up and you're like, damn, I really should make this at home. Yeah. But yeah, that's a tough one, Maria. Mm-hmm. That's not fun. No, it's not. Mm-mm. Anyhow, it will all get fixed, but I just well. thought it was a really funny little investigation yesterday. Um, next topic. If you're not watching the truth about Pam, oh my God, you're missing out. It's on Hulu. It's no. a true story based on a true story that Dateline did about this woman who may or may not have murdered a few people and gotten away with it. <laughs> well, oh my God. I don't know the ending of the story yet, <laughs> um, but it's Renee Zellweger as Pam. And it's like, I wanted IV'd into my body. She is so brilliant in this role. And I know many Pam-ish kind of types, and I know you will too when you see it. Oh, I can't wait. And just, it's just brilliant. She has their mannerisms down, the way they flip their hair, the the way they dress, like everything. Like she's got that kind of type, the prototype down. It's unreal. We work unreal. So good. So good. So good. Um, Kevin tried to get me into the Uber show and I was like, I can't. I couldn't do I can't it either. Watch That's one. so funny. I, cause I was so obsessed with the Theranos. Um, why can't I remember the name of that uh, one now? Yeah. Um, that's dropout. The dropout. The dropout. Which was also amazing. Phenomenal. The dropout, we crashed both so good, but yeah. I was, I was like so addicted that now I'm on the Minx because it's different. It's so good. The Minx okay. is on Hulu and it's uh, Jake Johnson and it's about basically how it's like Playboy for men mm-hmm. and it's, it's really really good. But anyways, I felt like you too. I was like, I can't do one more. I can't do another one. Even though they were amazing. Yeah, I was tapped out. Yeah, I'm tapped out. Yeah. Um, I had a huge breakthrough with Kevin yesterday. Ooh. So first of all, like Kevin's just really tapped out and exhausted and everything, and so he's in that place where. I always say it's an invitation for growth. When you're at your shittiest, your most exhausted, most depleted, most depressed, it's your invitation for growth. He's had a few invitations he's denied. <laughs> I told him that yesterday. I go over the years, you've had many invitations and you've <laughs> you chosen <said> no. <laughs> to make a little adjustment, a little bridge, and then you go back to your old way. So you make the bridge and then you pop back over. So yesterday I was doing my Joe Dispenza stuff and um, meaning my Joe Dispenza meditations and courses. And I said, can you just come in here? Just give me two minutes. Normally he won't even have the patience for that. Just give me two minutes. I want you to hear this because I think it's going to speak to you. And so he has a complete like, you know, epiphany as I'm, I'm explaining all of this, because if you are just getting into it, some of the terminology and the philosophies are a little challenging. You have to stop, rewind, stop, rewind. But I've been doing this for five-ish years, at least, listening to the Esther Hicks. And it's the same principles, right? And so anyhow, long story short, we're on the on the recliners in the kitchen that have not moved since Christmas COVID. And I looked at him after we watched 90 Day Fiance, another we work. And then something else was coming up. I can't remember. And I said, so Kev, one of the principles that Dr. Joe talks about is you can't do the same things and expect different results, right? You can't wake up with the same pattern, get out the same side of the bed, brush your teeth in the same order, do all that. You need variety. You need to spice stuff up. You need to shake things up and you need adventure, Now, I don't remember exactly why you need adventure, but it's like, to me, it's what I talk about peeing on a new tree. 
it's like the dogs need new sense. The monotony will make you nuts. And so I think outside of just breaking patterns and doing different things, new stimulation is going to help build new synapses in your brain, right? And so because you're learning something new, whether it's learning a, a new route to somewhere or you're learning a new walk path or whatever it is. So I think after, I can't even remember how many years we've been together. I think it's 25 this year. Oh shit. It's our anniversary this month. Oh, I thought you were going to say today. <laughs> oh my God. It's our anniversary. I think it's 25 years. Wow. I'm 43, turning 44. I met him at 19. <gasps> it's 25 years. Wow. Okay. So after 25 years, friends, I think I finally got him in a good place. Let's see what happens. But he is finally open to actually leaving the recliner. Now, I don't want to paint the picture that I have some couch potato husband. He is the most active, most busiest, hardest working man ever. But for his leisure time, his leisure time is watching television. And what I'm realizing is, like Dr. Joe says, you can either live, most of us live according to our past, right? Our present thoughts are all tied to our past. None of us are really building a vision for the future every day. We are not waking up consciously, envisioning and feeling our future, what we want. We're always thinking about what we don't want and what's bad in our lives and what we hate and what we're making us miserable and what we're complaining about, what isn't feeling good. And all of that is just comfortable for us because we've just lived in that shit for so long, right? So you want to live in the vision of the future. And I, I got him to start understanding that concept and and as you're learning new things, you're building these new synapses in your brain. And it's, I mean, that just makes you smarter later anyway. <clears throat> but your brain <clears throat> gets more cohesive and new things come, exciting things come. Life starts to happen because you're not living in the past, you're living in the future. I lost my train of thought because I was going somewhere with this and now I totally forgot. Just that you got Kevin to finally start after 25 years. Yeah. So you, oh, you can't do the same things and expect different results. So now you're waking up every day, you're catching those negative thoughts and you're thinking change, or you're thinking, mm, let me instead choose to build my future. So last night I was having some anxiety. I don't know why a lot of crazy things were running through my head, a lot of things to worry about. And I kept grabbing them, change, change, change. And I was like, oh, future. Okay envisioning the things that I want, feeling myself in those moments, experiencing, feeling, touching, ex smelling all of it. Right. And then I'd go back and then I'd go back and I was just like a seesaw, but whatever, you have to beat your own mind at these games. So if you're building this future and then you're adding in these new adventures and your leisure time isn't living in those worlds, you're living in your new world you want to be in. That's what I was trying to get to. I was like, we're living in WeWork. We're living in the dropout. We're living in Walking Dead. We're living in all these high intensity emotions that we're addicted to. And we're not living in our future. And it hit him. The bell went off. He goes, oh my God, you're right. I said, so we need to go experience stuff. There's so much to see in California. Let's start driving. We have an electric car, so we're not going to be bound by gas prices. Let's go. Let's experience stuff. He's now going to take um, some classes because he wants to learn new things. He did do it for a split second a long time ago, but it's very exciting. That's very exciting. Mm -hmm. He needs that. That's really yeah. good. We all need it. We all need it. Oh, my God. We 
Hey, Hill Squad and Better Together fam. It's been a tough year, but we hear from so many of you just how much our content is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. Our team works so hard to deliver this life-changing content, and a lot of you guys ask, how can I have a bigger role in our Heal Squad community, or how can I do my part to help Better Together continue to uplift even more people? First of all, thank you for that sentiment, and we're so grateful for this community. If you could help us by giving us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts, that's amazing. Second, you could join the Better Together with Maria Menounos Instagram page. Third, you could share the show with a friend in need. And finally, for as little as $10 a month, please join our Patreon to get monthly live heal events with world-class healers, ad-free episodes of our show, and even weekly bonus episodes exclusive to Patreon. Getting better isn't easy, but it is a whole lot better when we can do it together. We love and appreciate and are so grateful for all of you. All needed. And you know, when you talk about the adventure, you know, what came to my mind is it's that childlike play, Mm -hmm. right? You know, it's that, it's that lack of that as we get older, we lose that. And so we do need adventure. We need, I mean, that I even needed to hear that because for me, sometimes I'm like, oh no, all I need to do is sit in this chair and not do anything. And I'm like, no. Actually, I need some adventure too. There's times for rest. And I thought about that with you too. Mm -hmm. I thought about you instantly. I'm like, no, now it's time for you to find some little adventures. You can come on adventures with us. You can go on adventures solo. You can find other people to go. You need to just. Agreed. Like Seal Beach is friggin' everything. Have you ever been? Mm -mm. Oh my God. It's like just past Malibu. You go and you got to climb some very dangerous rocks. Not going to (laughs) lie. I ended up going not knowing what I was doing and I thought I was going to die. Oh my God. But you end up with hundreds of seals. Yeah, I know. It's epic. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. Oh my God. And then you almost die leaving. Cool. Perfect. (laughs) But if you wear the right shoes and you're really slow and careful, it's epic. Oh, but there are so many things Mm. to do and experience. And we're limiting ourselves to you know, what our mundane routine kind of thing is. So for you, you're living in your new Mm -hmm. area. Try different coffee shops all the time. Try different lunch places. Go explore. Like walk here, walk there, like whatever it is, try to incorporate something new into each day. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's pretty exciting stuff. It is exciting stuff. And it's not, you know what I like about it? It's like, it's not some crazy go hop on a plane and go to blah. It's like mm-hmm. you said, it's just walking down the street and trying a new coffee shop. Like yeah. that can give you that, that jolt that, yeah. you know, your body needs. So I love that. I needed to hear that. Go pee on your too. new trees, people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to talk more in depth about that stuff that I've been learning in this, um, this course, because it's pretty unbelievable and so kind of simple to apply. It's just changing your thoughts and your thoughts change your reality and it's pretty cool. So I, I will do a chat show about this coming up. But first, we have deeper topics to get into with Brian. So Brian struggled with lifelong impact of developmental trauma and shame, not realizing that that was the root cause of so many of his problems. And we talk about that here a lot. After years of fruitless efforts to change, he discovered the missing links to profound and long-lasting healing. He's now an internationally renowned expert on healing trauma and the trauma of shame, and his life's mission is to help millions heal from trauma. Ryan, welcome again. <laughs> Hi, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, we've talked a lot 
since our last episode about the work that we're doing and healing boundaries or creating boundaries, protecting them. And obviously we're working on healing so many different things, but today I really want to zero in on shame, traumas, and then eventually we can get to um, boundaries and anger because as you know, when you don't have boundaries, you will have lots of anger and Um, yeah. Right. (laughs) Vice versa. Vice versa. Yeah. But if you have, if you have inhibited anger, you won't be able to set boundaries and protect them. So yes. it's not that you don't have anger. It's just that you don't know how to express it healthfully. Thank you. That is very important information because that was me. Uh, now I am very, very much working on laying down my boundaries and protecting them. And it's been a very beautiful experience. Kelsey's been borrowing the benefits. Yes, I have. Kevin's starting <laughs> to borrow the benefits. Pooja already had this. Yeah, she's good. But it's being reinforced, I'm sure. Oh, no. All this stuff is so helpful. (laughs) So, so helpful. Um, So, Brian, um, obviously, you wrote this book to help people kind of start this process of healing. Tell us, walk us through kind of trauma and how that affects us in our lives. All right. Well, first of all, we have to kind of change the focus of the lens a little bit and look at trauma as what it actually is. It's a physiological wounding experience. It's not a psychological disorder. So I say it's a physiological condition, not a psychological disorder. So trauma in and of itself, and one of the reasons why we know it's physiological is that we can become traumatized, preverbal, precognitive, and preconceptual. What does that mean? Before we can think, before we have language, before we can reason, before we can conceptualize anything, when mm. we're infants, we can be traumatized. So we can be traumatized in the birth process, right? So if we can become traumatized before we can think and reason, then clearly it's not a psychological problem. And so we need to be able to work with it physiologically. And so in really simple terms, if we think about just survival strategies, survival mechanisms, right, which are instinctual, they're not cognitive, we don't think about the things that we need to do in order to survive. These are animal hardwired drives within us. And so, um, you know, if, if, if our, if our system is experiencing some sort of threat, whether it's perceived or real, our nervous system goes into arousal to mobilize the body to get ready for that threat. Then that energy needs to be able to unwind and discharge and reorganize so that the nervous system can return to homeostasis, or equilibrium. So if an event, your nervous system is able to mobilize and then unwind and discharge, reorganize, return to resilience, then that event was stressful. If for any reason that process gets interrupted and there's and it leaves kind of like a stuckness or a holding pattern or leaves you in a state of high hypervigilance, then that event we consider traumatic. And so it really is looking at what's happening in the nervous system that determines the difference between stress and trauma. So how do you know the difference between stress and trauma? Like how do you inside yourself know that all that reorganization, all that stuff didn't happen? Well, because it shows up, uh, you know, that we have these reenactments and patterns and habituations and vicious cycles in our lives. And so anytime, and, and we can also have the experience of, an emotional reaction being disproportionate to the experience. 
So if you know if the grocery store cashier shortchanges you and you lose your mind, then clearly there's some discordance there and this emotional charge in the system that that event is triggered, right? And so we just want to, you know, and when we're looking at patterns and behaviors and that kind of thing, um, what that's indicative of is that when we have a traumatic experience, we form beliefs. We form beliefs about ourselves, about the situation, the location, the behavior, the other person or people involved. And then those beliefs um, are there to protect us. So they're kind of, you know, through confirmation bias, they're looking at the horizon. Is it going to happen again? Is it going to happen again? Is it going to happen again? And what oftentimes happens is that because we're looking for it, we find it, mm -hmm. right? And so we're being drawn towards it and it's being drawn towards us in this reenactment happens. So whenever we have these patterns in our lives, they're oftentimes attributed to early wounding experiences that have been unresolved. And so therefore, this reenactment is actually an opportunity. It's almost like your system and whatever forces that there are in the universe are coalescing and bringing all of these um, experiences, you know, this experience together again, so that you have the opportunity to actually work with it and heal it. But the problem is, is that most people, when they're in their reenactment, they're not wanting to feel it. They're not wanting to deal with it. They're just wanting to distract themselves. They're hoping it's just going to go away. Or in their distraction from it, they're just trying to, or they try to change it, right? So they have a negative thought and feeling come up and they don't want to have that negative thought and feeling. And so they just think, okay, well, I'm going to have a positive thought. Shift. And I'm going to imagine something different, right? Which can be a great temporary respite but the wound's not being attended to. And so it just festers and the reenactment continues. When you're on the go 24-7 like me, guys, finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity. <laughs> and that's exactly what my friends at Macy's do for me. From working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials, it's been my go-to for so many years. And having everything in one place is such a time saver for me. With being a first-time mom, for a while now, as you know, I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing. Plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me. So I know we're all focusing on our families, our health, hopefully our jobs and everything in between, but it's time to make your life a little easier. And to help you out, I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam. All the details are in the show notes below, or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too. I have some new picks on there. This little bomber jacket, this little black dress. You're gonna love it. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them.
So that's why in our work, you bring us back to the emotion so that you can reorganize it and say, okay, we're safe. Right? Right. Right. Yeah. So explain the process that you do, because I'm even understanding it even better hearing the full explanation now. It's like you take us to the (laughs) brink, we get there, and then we pull back and you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. And then what's happening is you're reorganizing your experience with the trauma to see that there's a healthy resolution or that you feel that you're okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a number of things that's happening. You know, when we go back into old memories, um, the way that I work is oftentimes to take it out of order and little bits and pieces at a time. So as somebody starts to tell me their story and I start to notice or they notice that their system is coming online, they're getting activated, they're going into arousal and emotions coming up, whatever that is. And we drop the story and we shift the attention awareness into feeling what they're feeling in their bodies as um, with, with as much detail as possible. So, you know, I can say, I notice that your eyes are starting to fill with tears. And I said, just so what are you, you know, are you aware of that? And they go, yeah, I can feel the, my eyes. And, it's, and so I might ask them, what else are you noticing happening in your body? And they go, well, I feel sad. Okay, so now we're in concept. But what we want to do is actually get into the feelings in the body. So what is it that's happening in your body that you're interpreting as this state of sadness? Well, I feel tightness in my throat. I feel heaviness in my chest. I feel like my arms are lead. I don't have any, you know, I feel like the energy is being drained out of me. So now we're in the sentient experience. And when we're there and we can bring the attention in just to sensation, then oftentimes that allows the nervous system to then begin to unwind and discharge that that sensation, right? And And we just kind of keep moving in and out of it very slowly, a little bit at a time, just to feel into what is there. And then we move our attention outside. And sometimes it's just by me starting to tell a story or, or, or getting you or someone, you know, a client to reorient to their environment, you know, just by looking out the window. And so we're just teasing the nervous system to go into arousal to, to a tolerable place. And then we let the nervous system unwind and discharge. And then we go back in, we get a little bit more arousal. We hang out with that and explore it, recognize that it's tolerable, right? Because a lot of people don't want to feel what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. But if they feel anything, they feel like it's intolerable. I don't want to feel that, mm-hmm. right? And we have to learn how to feel safe again to feel what we're feeling because we've received so many messages throughout our lives that it's not okay for us to have our emotions and it's certainly not okay to express them. So what's, so the, then, what's the difference between me shifting out of that feeling in that kind of aroused state and you taking us there and then telling a story moving out. Like what is the difference between those experiences where yours heals and mine just keeps perpetuating? Well, because a lot of times what happens is, especially even if we think in traditional talk therapy kinds of approaches, there's this idea of moving to catharsis, this big emotional release or expression. And catharsis can feel good afterwards because it does, um, you know, get the system flooded with endorphins and adrenal, adrenaline and serotonin and all kinds of things. So there's all can be almost kind of a bit of a high after these emotional expressions. But a lot of times, if it's if we're just kind of going into it and wallowing in it, um, we're re-traumatizing 
on some level because the lower brain, the body doesn't really understand that it's not happening, you know, that the event that we're having the emotion around isn't happening again. And so even though we might have that emotional release, we're not actually working with the nervous system to unwind and discharge. So that's why, you know, it's kind of, it's incremental. It's important to do it incrementally. You know, we don't really want, I don't really want to let a client get to the point where they're completely flooded, where they're in overwhelm with what they're feeling or to collapse, you know, and shut down. And so, you know, it is just kind of a slow moving in and out, in and out. It's called titration and pendulation, which means titration is a tiny little step and pendulation is just moving from one thing to another. And so we're in the trauma vortex or the pain or the sadness or, you know, whatever the the emotional expression is, and then we pendulate out and bring the attention awareness to something that's pleasant or gives us a sense of safety or well-being. And then the nervous system can recognize, oh, I'm not in that situation anymore. I'm in this room at this time, at this place in my life. And then the, then that, that, that expression of the nervous system can reorient to, oh, I'm safe now. And it's okay for me to feel this. It wasn't overwhelming after all, mm. because a lot of times the, the, the <clears throat> greater part of feeling anything is our resistance to feeling it. And so, so is the healing then done in that process of repeatedly feeling safe around those emotions so that later you're not triggered by them? Well, yeah. And part of it is, is more toleration because we want to be able to feel Right. And so every time we're kind of leaning into the edge of a feeling and then coming out and letting that all kind of reorganize, we're also gaining a greater sense of safety around feeling what we're feeling. And so, yeah, we want to feel safe when we're enraged. We want to feel safe when we're sad. Right. We want to feel safe feeling those things because, you know, as human beings, we have this emotional expression. There's a reason for it. It's not an enemy. It's not that something is going wrong. It's that something is happening that's right. These emotions are just trying to get our attention. Mm. And it's communication. And the most important part of any communication is listening. And so the way we listen to these emotional reactions or experiences is by feeling them. But we have to learn how to feel them. And we have to increase our, our ability to tolerate what we call our banks of toleration. Right. So that way, you know, we can move freely from one emotion into another. We should be able to, in the same day, be really pissed off, frustrated, excited, elated, um, joyful, um, and disappointed. Right. We should be able to move between all of these emotions because our emotional life should be situational and relational. We go to the queens in the booth. Are you following everything? <laughs> yeah, okay. actually, I am. Any follow up questions before I move on? No, you go. No, you go. I don't have. I, I don't have anything right now. Actually, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm like I'm good. So, so if unresolved, these traumas will continue to run our ride. Can you share with people who have not thought about that? kind of how they show up so that they can be able to be aware of them and to be able to spot it because sometimes people don't even know what their traumas are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's part of 
you know, the, the, the challenge sometimes around trauma is that people don't think of themselves as traumatized, right? We have a tendency to kind of think of trauma as these great big capital T traumas. And for many years, trauma was synonymous with, with veterans of war, mm-hmm. right? Trauma and PTSD was the only way we were looking at trauma. And so now we're recognizing that there are these little T traumas, right? That, that the system, our bodies can actually handle a big T trauma sometimes easier and more effectively than it can the sustained little T traumas, which I call death by a thousand paper cuts, right? So we can think of the big T trauma, like how I got into this work, like catastrophic car wreck, right? That left me you know, in a complete state of collapse, having seven to 10 full-blown panic attacks a day, right? Big T trauma. And it played out by me having all of this anxiety and panic, right? But then there's little T traumas. And the little T traumas can be, you know, oftentimes are things like shame. And shame is used in every culture since the beginning of time to socialize children. And so shame is a ubiquitous part of the human experience. And it's not that we don't want shame. We actually want healthy shame because healthy shame helps us to discern what's right and wrong and good and bad and what different groups of people, what brings different groups of people together and what parts of me do I bring forward when I go into this group and what parts of me do I bring forward when I go into that group, right? So Mm -hmm. it's part of our socialization. Which by the way, I love that. That was so helpful for me. Um, to understand, <clears throat> you know, cause when you're young people, um, you know, your, your peers in, in that young, young time will say, you're so fake. How come you're like this here? And you're like that there. So if you're young and you're already practicing discernment, you're getting attacked for it, right? You answer your phone so right. differently than you talk. Well, I don't know what I'm getting over here. So there's a different tone that I'm going to have to my voice, but to be able to understand that, I'm going to act differently with Kelsey and Pooja than I am, let's say, with you, than I am with the president, than I am with my doctor. There are different levels of me that are going to come forward. And I don't think a lot of people know that. I definitely didn't. Um, I think it's an instinctual thing that we do, but we don't realize that it's okay because you're usually you're shamed for it in your younger years. Um, it's okay to be different in different scenarios and that that's healthy discernment. So I want to stop you there because I want to make sure everyone hears that loud and clear. And if you have anything to add to that, um, I think it's uh, a really powerful thing for people to understand. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. 
As a first-time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. Yeah, I, I say that shame, uh, the shaming experience oftentimes leads to the loss of authenticity. Boom. Write that down, Queens. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because the the messaging that we're getting through these shaming words or nonverbal cues, like somebody rolling their eyes or giving the side eye glance or going, you know, talk to the hand, right? All of these nonverbal cues, as well as the words that we are inundated with that are shaming, teach us the underlying messages, that part of you, I don't like. Don't ever talk like that again. Stop being that way. Be this way. Think this way. Do these things. Don't do these things. You know. And so as children, we're so malleable and we have this extraordinary drive to please because we have an instinctual drive to remain in favor. Because as children, infants and children, if we fall out of favor, we run the risk of dying, right? We're 100% dependent upon others for our well-being. And so we're, we have this hardwired drive to belong and to fit in and to please. And so when we're being shamed, we're getting the message, you don't fit in, you don't belong, or that part of you, or that behavior. And so we lose our authenticity because we start excuse me, compartmentalizing parts of us or we start suppressing parts of us. And sometimes we even start to try to kill off parts of us entirely. And so when we're healing shame, we're actually working on expanding the container of who you are large enough to remember those dismembered parts mm. so that we can reclaim all of who we are. And we have to recognize that we live in a polarized universe. So there's going to be the polarization of opposites within us right? There's a part of me that loves to be in great shape. Then there's the part of me that lives in Mexico, <laughs> loves to eat really good food, yeah. you know, and those two things don't go hand in hand, right? So there's the discernment of, okay, if I want to be in really good shape, I have to set the boundary of time for myself to work out, right? I have to set the boundary of myself for, you know, um, Am I going to just act as if I'm on vacation and eat everything in sight? Or do I realize, no, I'm living here now. And so I'm going to set some boundaries around what kind of food I'm eating at home. And then when I go out, I can celebrate and have all of that, 
right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are all these different parts of us and we're constantly trying to figure out the constellation of that and how they all work together. And that's another important thing that I learned on the show too from Deepak Chopra is the polarization, is that I can be mean and I can be nice. I can be cheap and I can be generous. Holy moly, was that freeing because we only want to embrace the, the perfect good parts of us because that's the only thing that's acceptable. We're not acceptable if we're angry. We're not acceptable if we're demanding of what we want, all of the things that we're shamed out of, like you said. And so getting to re-embrace those other sides and say, well, we're everything <clears throat> is really helpful. Right. Well, and that's the thing about shame too, is that, you know, I kind of touched on the idea that we have to have healthy shame, but then there's the other polarity, which is toxic shame. And toxic shame is in the identifications of I'm bad. I'm stupid. There's something wrong with me. I'm damaged. I'm broken. I'm unfixable. I'm unlikable. I'm unlovable, right? So it's all these identifications. But what we can recognize is we transmute toxic shame into healthy shame is I am a loving person. And sometimes I do unloving things or say unloving things. I am a smart person. And sometimes I make really stupid mistakes. Right. And that's healthy shame to be able to to, you know, to be able to hold all of who we are, because the, you know, the drive a lot of times in toxic shame are the kissing cousins of um, self-sabotage and perfectionism. Right. This perfectionism of I've got to be exactly what everyone else wants or needs me to be. Right. I, I can't make any mistakes. I have to meet these standards, right? Which should happen to a lot of the millennials is that, you know, with the participation awards and, you know, the never being told no and all these kinds of things, they had this, this you know, this, this level of expectation that they didn't feel like they could actually live up to, right? They ran the race, they came in last and they got a trophy, right? And so in their, in their own lives, there was the terror of not being able to meet those expectations. And so they went into collapse and just didn't try, didn't do anything. Right. And that's why, you know, some of them ended up living in their, you know, parents' basements and that kind of thing for years after college, because there was another piece in that of entitlement. And they didn't want to take a job that was less than a hundred grand a year because they felt like they deserved better. Right. So we can have, you know, shame can show up in all different kinds of ways. And it's, you know, we, we think about shame as being anywhere we feel different, but it doesn't necessarily mean one down. It can also be, we feel shame when we're one up. I love hearing that too. <clears throat> Explain that a little deeper for people. <clears throat> well, you know, obviously we think of shame as there's something wrong with me, right? I'm less than, I'm unequal to. And then we can also feel shame of, ooh, I'm better than, I'm more privileged than, right? So, you know, I use the example of when I was growing up, I grew up in affluent home. My dad was a doctor. Um, We had nice house. We had nice cars. We had nice clothes. We went to the best schools. And when I went out to play, I would dumb myself down. I would change my vocabulary. I would start using slang. I would slur my words. I would take on the the local, you know, the dialect and everything because I wanted to fit in. And I didn't fit in because I was privileged, you know? And so this is part of, again, that's kind of healthy shame in a way, right? Is learning how to bring forward different parts of yourself 
to belong in different kinds of groups. So my healthy shame showed up by me recognizing I'm different, I'm better off, I'm more educated, I'm, you know, uh, live in a nicer house and that kind of thing. And so I used my discernment and my healthy shame to meet the kids in the neighborhood where they were so that I could fit in. But is that the healthy thing to do to try to fit in? I know it's what we want. We're tribal creatures. We're designed to be in groups. The trick is, is to determine what groups do you want to be a part of? That's really where it comes down to, right? And that comes down to your North Star, right? Your own sense of self. What matters to me? What are my values? What are my principles? What do I like? What do I not like, right? And then it's a matter of finding those tribes that are in alignment with your own sense of self. You know, to try to fit in to a group um, just because you think that group has status may not necessarily be the, you know, a healthy, a healthy part of healthy shame. Although you can certainly learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can learn how, you know, and that's what, you know, scammers and, and grifters do, right? The Tinder swindler. They, <laughs> the Tinder swindler. Yeah. You know, they figure out how to fit into these groups that they don't belong. Right. So funny. Um, and now I'm thinking about the Tinder swindler and how he's just created this whole new life for himself and everyone thinks he's amazing. Anyhow, um, <laughs> you talk about building the foundation for healing. So what does that mean exactly? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. For me, the foundation for healing is having to first recognize that we have these original wounds. Our early wounding experiences inform and form us into who we are. And so in order to be able to really heal on that foundational level, we have to be able to go back and explore these original wounds. In exploring the original wounds, we have to recognize that it's a physiological wounding experience, and therefore we need to work with it physiologically, right? And where that, you know, there's some, there's a uh, research that was really interesting that this is kind of based on it was the beginning of the body mind connection and the therapeutic practice. And Dr. Eugene Genlin at the University of Chicago was trying to figure out why some patients were getting better and others weren't in a therapeutic practice. And so for 20 years, he looked at all the different types of therapy, the therapists, um, and he certainly concluded that the therapeutic alliance is really important, right? The, the way in which you're, your therapist and you are able to attune to one another and join and, and connect and feel safe. Um, the right approach is important for whatever it is the client is working on. But the single most determining factor as to whether or not anybody gets better in any practice with any practitioner is based in the client's ability to feel sensations in their bodies, to language those sensations appropriately, to then attach the right emotion to that collection of sensations, and then the right meaning or belief, right? Because we have our emotions have meaning to us and we form beliefs around them. But just because we have a meaning or a belief around the emotion doesn't necessarily mean it's appropriate. Right. Because a lot of people have the belief 
that it's not okay to be angry and it's not okay to express it and that it leads to no good, right? And that is a limiting belief that will keep somebody, it keeps somebody's anger inhibited to such a point that they won't be able to set boundaries and protect them, right? And when we don't have healthy boundaries and we're not protecting them, um, it's really hard to have self-esteem and self-confidence. Right, because again, our own our own boundaries, our yeses and nos, create our north star, and that north star is what we orient to when we're confident. This is what works for me. You can have your opinions, and I appreciate your opinion, but your opinion doesn't impact and affect me mm-hmm. because I know what's right and good for me. Right. So to go back to the the Genlin research. Feel sensations, language them. There's room for misinterpretation there, right? And there's a lot of lack of ability in in, in new clients sometimes to even be able to describe a sensation that they're feeling, Mm -hmm. right? And so we have to build that capacity initially sometimes with clients to help them begin to learn how to language the individual sensations that they're feeling in different areas of their bodies. And then the interpretation of that is very different too, right? So we can misinterpret anxiety for excitement and move towards danger. Or conversely, we can move, we can interpret excitement for anxiety and move away from the good things in our lives. Just like some people mistake hunger for thirst and they eat instead of drink. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is really the foundational piece. Right. So and and you know, my book, what I'm hoping to do is create a real foundation, rock solid foundation for people that's based in the most basic fundamentals. Right. We just really need to understand what is trauma, what is shame, how have our beliefs about ourselves in the world been. Uh, forged as a result of our wounding experiences? And then how do those beliefs continue to drive our behaviors and habits and patterns, et cetera? So it's the beliefs, not the trauma necessarily, that's running the ride. Right. But we form all kinds of beliefs even post the wound, right? So Mm -hmm. if if we're in the reenactment, we're feeling all that old stuff again, we can form new beliefs of like, oh, well, this is just the way I am. Mm-hmm. Why bother? There's no point in even taking a look at this. This is just how I'm hardwired. Well, right. And I had that. Ex- and then the other part is 50% of our memories aren't even true. So now, as time goes on, we're building on that story and enhancing and embellishing it to make it even worse. Right. Right. And so, you know, this is this is where I think um when we when we can work on the original wounds and we can call in a question the beliefs that we formed around them. And we can have reparative and corrective experiences in the present day. That's how we're able to move the needle and say, my future does not have to look like my past. Because the greatest influence of your future isn't the present moment. It's your past. In this present moment, you may, you know, change your thoughts to a a more positive thought. You might discipline yourself into a behavior to counterbalance this old belief or this old way of thinking or this old way of behaving. 
And you might find some success with that for a short period of time. But then the old beliefs come back, right? Because something happens that triggers the old wound and then the old belief shows up and, it, you know, and then, it, you know, it will, it will interfere and, and knock you off the pedestal of whatever progress you've already made. And then when that happens, you go into a shame spiral of what's wrong with me. I just can't seem to ever make any headway. Every time I start to make, you know, some gains in my life, it just gets taken away from me. So why bother? I quit. Give me a piece of chocolate cake. Mm -hmm. So is it safe to say if you're trying to identify that identifying your triggers will help you figure out what the original trauma was? Sure. Yeah, that's part of the equation, right? But sometimes figuring out those triggers is really difficult because it could be something like the shape of the back of somebody's head as they walk by you on the street, you know? So, I mean, it can be a shade of a color. It can be the sound of footsteps. It can, you know, there are all these different kinds of things that can trigger us and bring, you know, I kind of, I, I think of like um, our bodies are like a landmine field of old wounds, right? Mm. And so people, places, and things apply pressure to the triggers of these old landmines and they rise to the surface. Mm-hmm. But being able to really discern and find what all those triggers are can be difficult. And sometimes they're really quite obvious. Yeah. You know? Or even so like your patterns, can... right? Like I always say, if the same thing keeps happening to you, whether it's you keep meeting the same kind of guy and the same story keeps playing out, or you keep having these toxic work environments, or you keep having whatever pattern it is, that's also something to look at to figure out, well, why do I keep ending up in these situations, right? What What's yeah. happening here? Yeah, so part of that is what are the underlying beliefs that are creating this situation again, right? Because beliefs always win. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to think that we can change a belief by changing our thoughts. So I have this old limiting belief and I'm going to now say, okay, I don't want to have this belief that I am unworthy. So I'm going to change my thoughts and my mental focus to I am worthy, right? So I have this belief I'm unworthy. And now I'm going to say, no, that's not true. I'm worthy. And we write it on post-it notes and we put it on our bathroom mirror and on the inside the car and on our laptop Hmm. and everywhere we go, we look at, I'm worthy. Well, now what we have are two opposing thoughts. The old wound wasn't healed. The old belief wasn't called into question, except for these moments when you look at the post-it note and read the words, I'm worthy. But what's happening is, is you're, you're in cognitive dissonance, right? So you have two opposing thoughts. So you have the one thought, I'm unworthy, and you're now instilling this new thought, I'm worthy. And when we have anything in opposition, what does that do? Create conflict. When we have conflict, what does that do? We feel it. And then we can uh, we can spin out of that into the shame of why is it I can't feel worthy? I'm doing worthy things. I'm, you know, changing my life and and, and taking all these actions to prove my worthiness. And yet I still 
have this underlying pattern that keeps you know pulling the rug out and out and from underneath me no matter how much i police my thoughts and no matter how disciplined i am in my behaviors i still get the rug pulled out from underneath me and that's because the wound wants to be addressed that's why we're having the reenactment that's why we're having the pattern mm. it's an opportunity it's showing up to go hey can we look at this now maybe now where you are in your life maybe now with what you've learned maybe now and the skills and tools that you have and the support that you have now maybe we can look at this now right but there's a, a few missing tools in most people's toolbox and that is to to know how to lean in and get curious and willing to feel and explore and 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 move in and out of you know so all these kinds of tools that can help the system do what the system knows it needs to do and wants to do you know our bodies want to heal you know we have billions of cells in our bodies and every single one of them has a mission and a focus and a drive to to, to operate at peak efficiency and yet we can have one thought or one belief that will move us into a behavior that goes against the the efforts of all of our billions of cells mm. Back to the booth. Thoughts, ladies. Oh, my God. There's so much. So I want to make sure I keep checking in with the girls and make sure that. I think what I wrote down, Brian, that kind of just goes back to, I mean, the beliefs, the feelings, all of these things. How do we even start to, like, acknowledge them and then, like, work on them? I think I don't even know where to start. Like, if I am able to catch a belief and be like, oh, whoa, okay, this is running my ride. This is a pattern I have. Then where do I go from there? You know? Right. Okay, so let's let's break it way down. Um, so we have these thoughts that come into our heads, right? And oftentimes they're negative thoughts. And those negative thoughts are actually showing up for a reason. And if we don't pay attention to them because we turn, you know, we distract ourselves or or you know, disconnect or dissociate from it, then a feeling rises up within us as a result of that negative thought. And so now the body's doing everything it can to try to get our attention. So we've got this negative thought, we've got this negative feeling and saying, hey, can you pay attention to this? And so that's where it begins, right? Is to shift the focus, shift gears, and stop looking at our negative thoughts and the negative feelings that we're having as something that is bad. They're not inherently bad. They're the sentinels for our healing. Mm. This is the stuff that our spirit, our spirit guides, God, the world, the universe, the ethers, whatever energetic force, you know, is animating all of us. These are being brought in to go, hey, here's where your attention needs to go. But most people don't do that. They move their attention elsewhere. And so that's the first, you know, the first step. Then, you know, sometimes we can just have a feeling, right? Like anxiety. We may not even have an understanding of where is this anxiety feeling coming from, but I feel an elevated heart rate. My palms are sweating and my breath is short and shallow and I'm starting to get tunnel vision and I feel like I'm going to crawl out of my skin, right? So we have all these feelings coming up inside of us for a reason. 
to get our attention. The most important part of any communication is listening. And so when the body talks, it talks through sensation. And so our job is to listen to it, to pay attention to it, right? Then, so we've got, you know, the thoughts that are coming in and the feelings that are coming up. And then we also have these beliefs. And sometimes we know what our limiting beliefs are because we're hearing those voices in the back of our head. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, we don't know what they are because we can also have embodied beliefs, beliefs that we formed on an, in an instinctual way for our survival when we, before we could actually think and reason and speak, right? So if you use the hot stove to, you know, help you, help you stand up as a toddler and you burnt your hands really bad, your body has come to believe that that object is really hot and dangerous and not to go near it, right? So it's an embodied belief. So, you know, we have to, um, first of all, become willing to go within and do the inquiry. You know, where are the stress points in my life? What are the things that aren't working? What am I frustrated by? What annoys me, right? Then we're gonna start getting a better understanding of where our tension points are. And if we can lean into those tension points, uh, then we can start to discover. Uh, perhaps, you know, the, you know, like if I, if I have a thought and a feeling that comes up and I give it my attention and I'm willing to hang out and feel into it, and I will ask myself, is there anything that's old and familiar about the way that this feels? I've now given my higher brain a set of problems to solve. What's old and familiar? And it will seek out and find. It'll go looking for times in your life when you felt similarly, similarly, right? And then those memories will start to bubble up. And then you're like, oh, so here's an old wounding experience that presents in a lot of the same ways that I'm feeling right now. Maybe this is part of the original wound. And so then we can get curious about that memory and we can work with that memory you know, again, in very specific ways. And a lot of these things, I'm, you know, hate to say, are best done with help and support, right? Even if you had all the dental textbooks and all the dental tools, you wouldn't want to fill your own cavities. Great point. That is a good point. <laughs> I would not want to do that. Um, and, and the type of therapy you're talking about that really handles physiological trauma is somatic work. Correct. To yeah. be clear. Yeah. The, the yeah. technique that I work with specifically is somatic experiencing the work of Dr. Peter Levine. So, oh my gosh, there's so much. Um I want to talk about, you mentioned earlier, perfectionism and self-sabotage. And you said shame drives both of those. Can you go into that? And then after that, I want to get into boundaries before we lose you. <laughs> okay. So um, shame drives perfectionism because we have a need to please. We've been getting, we've been gotten, we've gotten so many messages over our lives that we are falling out of favor. And so we're doing everything we can to try to remain in favor, try to, to be likable, to be lovable, right? And to be so the perfect mom at school, to be the perfect daughter, to be the perfect friend, all of that. Exactly. So it's the people pleasing, right? That's part of it, of the perfectionism. But we can also have the, the people pleasing for ourselves, right? I have a task and I have to do it 100%. I have to do it perfectly. 
you know, there's no room for error here, right? Because the terror underneath that is that if I don't do it perfectly and I, uh, then somebody's going to judge me for it. And then that feeling of that judgment comes to shame, which is the fear of rejection, right? So shame dry is driven by our fear of rejection of being cast out or shunned or neglected or abandoned, right? So that's the terror behind our experience of being shamed is that we're going to fall out of favor. And so, as I said earlier with the millennials, that's a perfect example of shame and sabotage, right? Or, or, or perfectionism and sabotage, because they have this ideal of what's expected of them. They've been given this really high bar. And the perfectionism says, I'm not capable of meeting that expectation. And so I have two choices here. One is I'm going to give this 150%. I'm going to go, you know, put all of my time and attention on this. And I am going to figure out how to meet that expectation. But the other side is the self-sabotage. And that is I'm never going to get there. I'm only going to embarrass myself. What's the point in even trying? So I can't fail if I don't apply myself. So I'm not going to apply myself. And who is that hurting? That's just hurting yourself. And so that's the self-sabotage. Mm. Okay. Boundaries? Let's do it. Was there anything in shame, trauma I was just, I just, that I didn't get? I'm really glad that you're, you keep pulling this back to millennials because I massively understand all of this. And I remember, I'm so grateful for my mom who was like, always got mad when we got trophies for anything and everything. And she, I swear she would always be like, no. Uh-uh, you don't get a trophy for that. And I'm, <laughs> that does but, badass. but I'm so grateful because it's so true. It's and I see so many of my friends who it's like they won't even try because they think that they can't. And it's I don't know. It's just so crazy. So let me get this straight. So a lot of kids have these shelves in their bedroom with all their trophies, and your mom had a closet for all the trophies <laughs> that you couldn't keep. Well, she was she would just be like she never reinforced it. Exactly. She told you exactly, exactly. So, but I'm grateful. We're gonna hide all these trophies. She's like, you don't. <laughs> but she would. I mean, but she would if I deserved it and I earned it and I actually you know did win or whatever. Of course, she would be like, yes. But she's like, no, you don't oh. get a trophy for participating. Yeah. Like, so, but but that's why you're. You're, you stick out so much, Queen. Well, thank you. I've always told you that. It's because your mom was so real with you mm-hmm. that yeah, she was. <laughs> you know, she's she's not like you know, yeah, yeah, doing the, any of that stuff. Yeah, the, I think my one question for you, Brian, is for someone who it's like they're listening to this and they're like, oh wow, that's me. I'm self sabotaging or whatever. How would you go about like getting out of that? Is that you know, is acknowledging it like the first step and then. Sure. I mean, you know, as with anything, you know, acknowledging it, having some understanding around it is helpful, but we also have to recognize that knowledge is not power, right? Knowledge is crazy making until it's applied. I love that. That's not what my dad taught me, Brian. He used to say, you gotta read Maria. Knowledge is power. I know. But it's but you know, you can have all the knowledge in the world and not behave in alignment with all of that. Yeah. And how do you end up feeling? Like 
you're a loser and there's something wrong with you and you know better, right? I should have, I should have done it that way because I know better. Mm -hmm. You had the knowledge to do better, but you behave differently. So basically we got to go to the dentist. Gotta go to the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) We gotta go to the dentist, guys. I love that. Well, look, there's look, there's there's two environments here that we're working with. One is the intrapersonal world, right? You, yourself, your body, right? Your intrapersonal experience. Then there's the interpersonal experience, how you engage with other people and how other people engage with you. Now, most trauma and probably all shame is relational. And so in order to heal that, we need to work with it relationally. And so, yes, is there a certain amount of work that you can do on your own? Absolutely. But in order to fully resolve and heal uh, the relational wounds that are part of shame and developmental trauma and you know some um, shock traumas and that kind of thing, we need to be able to work with it relationally. And that's why it's helpful to have somebody to work with. But it's not a matter of just having anybody to work with. You really need to find somebody who's trauma-informed because trauma is a different beast, right? You need to have somebody who understands how to work with the neurobiology, with the biology, with the nervous system, lower brain function, our survival strategies and instincts, and that's all somatic. And so if you're really wanting to look at trauma, you're really wanting to look at shame, my recommendation is you really want to find somebody who knows how to work somatically. So start by reading the book. Start by reading the book. Get your foundation set and then go to the dentist. And, yeah. <laughs> Get your root canal. And then I've got, you know, I've, I've also put, make sure. your multiple root canals going. A few crowns. Don't try, don't try this at home. A couple of bridges. But, <laughs> A few fillings along the way. And then all of a sudden you got a whole new mouth. <laughs> right. And as I say in the book, you also don't want to go to the dental hygienist for a root canal, right? Yeah. You want to find the right kind of practitioner. Yes. That's all, right? But there is a lot of work that you can do on your own. The idea of this book is to build your own foundation so that you show up ready to rumba when you find the right support. Mm -hmm. I want this book to save you time and money. I don't want you to just go to somebody and flail about, which is what I did initially, right? I mean, I had an amazing practitioner, but I don't remember getting a lot of the physiological education and the psychological education and that kind of thing. And I kept walking out of the the sessions every time going, what the hell just happened? I don't feel like that after mine. (laughs) (laughs) after mine i'm like guys you gotta hear this this is amazing (laughs) but yeah no it's true i think it's you gotta know it yeah i mean and and that's why my my approach is it's educational and experiential i want you to really understand what's happening so that you're not just thinking this is some sort of like you know another magic pill or something like that no this is neurobiology Mm -hmm. this is animal behavior This is how we're wired as human beings with a drive to survive and a drive to thrive, right? And so sometimes we have to get that that survival sorted out first so that we clear away the static and then we can really begin to thrive, right? So this book is get ready, get yourself ready 
so that you show up and you can start the work far ahead of the game and expedite the process, right? Um, and have it be much more impactful and profound session to session to session. Yeah. I think also what you were saying about knowing how to describe and have a vocabulary to the feelings and sensations in your body. I think that's the hardest part. It was for me too, because when you're so disconnected um, and a lot Mm -hmm. of us can be, um, I think that's the part that you should start to tune into when you are feeling things is where am I feeling it and what does it feel like? So you can have a vocabulary going into this. Yeah. And I've put um, resources for the book online. And so that's kind of, you know, it's part of it. I actually have a sensation word list so you can kind of, you know, go through and start to identify some of these sentient, you know, the sentient language as it were. Um, And then I put it online so that over time I can update it and add more tools and skills. So once you have access to it, you have lifetime access to it. And I've got, you know, my, my guided um, meditations, the fives are on there and then, the chair meditation and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So there's a lot of tools and great things that you can start doing right away while you're educating yourself and building this foundation and finding the right practitioner so that you're really ready to roll. I love it. We'll put that in the summary so that you guys can find the website easily. Okay, oh. Queen. So we learned more about shame and trauma. Any of that helpful to you? Oh my God, all of it. Well, Brian's, I feel like... um I don't, he just puts it in a way. And I think that from his first time on the show to now, it's like, I'm, I don't, I think I'm learning more, but he's explaining it to where it's like, oh my gosh, it really resonates with me. The, what did he say? The lack of authenticity comes from shame that killed me. And then the, mm-hmm. the reclaiming those dismembered parts of you that also shame is destroyed. I was just like, so yeah, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it resonated. Yeah. Resonated. And then expanding that container so you can fit everything. Right. So, right. so cool. Pooja, love to hear from you. Yeah, I think my biggest thing too was that you're like you lose your authenticity like with shame. And I don't I never really heard it be put that way, but it's like those little like side glances when you like act a certain way, those eye rolls that can really like make you feel bad about doing something and you don't maybe even know that you're suppressing that behavior or that part of yourself because it's such like a subtle way. They're not like, stop doing it. They don't tell you it outright, mm-hmm. but like internalizing all those, you know, little nonverbal cues. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That and how it can bank. really affect you. Right. Mm-hmm. And since you're like from like childhood, you know, like if you're talking too much and like your mom rolls your eyes at you or stuff like that. And then you're like, Oh shoot, maybe I should just stop doing that and then maybe you suppress your voice and that can carry on to adulthood as we learn on the show like what you happens in childhood is what affects you as an adult mm-hmm. um so that that was really interesting to me you know the other thing that really stuck with me was the cognitive dissonance and he and i talked about that the other day but it's just the idea of like a belief and then but what we like have learned to believe being like in, or not matching up together i'm trying to use my but I have to press the button. Um, but then what am I trying to being say? Being in conflict with yes. each yeah, other. Yeah, being in conflict and that like, Oh, I feel so strongly. So like, as you grow and you learn and you like develop as a person and like develop on your like healing journey and your spiritual journey, I think that there's a lot of that. So him defining that for me, um, 
really helped me too. So cool. I liked that. All right. Well, friends, guess what? It ain't over because we get a part mm-hmm. two coming up uh, where we're going to talk all about anger and our relationship with anger and um, boundaries, which we've been waiting to talk to Brian about boundaries for a very long time. I know we had our amazing episodes with Terry Cole on boundaries, um, but we're going to retalk about it a little deeper in this one as well. So in the meantime, be nice people, <laughs> make good choices, be present and get ready for part two. Hey, Heal Squad, we have been on quite the journey together and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself, spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.